Hey, Faith. Hey, Dan. What day is it? It is TV Tuesday. It is TV Tuesday, but you apparently feel like it's a manic Monday. A little bit. So we just had dinner before we recorded, and Faith was nice enough to make dinner. And she did noodles with Italian sausage. And what else did you put in there? Olive oil, um, some Italian seasoning, some cheese. Absolutely. Lots of garlic. Lots of garlic. (laughs) Someone's going to be paying for that later. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> very, very delicious. So we we had dinner. We watched an episode of Friends, mm-hmm. uh, listened to the show that's coming out Friday. We're going to talk a little bit about the rabbit hole that we've gone down with Friends. <laughs> but uh, while we were while we were getting ready, uh, they released a new Prince album of songs that he wrote for other people that became big hits. And one of them that he wrote was Manic Monday. The Bengals had a big hit with his version of it has just been released and we were listening to it while we were setting up and faith that's not your favorite song is it it is not my favorite song and that's okay i mean but you respect the song right oh yeah yes and you respect and of course we love prince and uh so it's stuck in her head Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's a manic monday on tv tuesday yep it's a manic monday in my head every day yeah well (laughs) you and a lot of people out there so Faith, uh, would you like to tell them what we are talking about today on TV Tuesday? We are talking about the first episode of Stranger Things. Ooh, you mean Chapter 1, The Vanishing of Will Byers? That is correct. Written and directed by the Duffer Brothers? Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. so, so Stranger Things is one of these TV shows. It kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? We didn't get a lot of advanced buzz on this show when it came out in 2016, did we? Right, that's correct. It just kind of showed up. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, it popped up on the Netflix feed as as recommended. You know, mm-hmm. they, were, they were pimping it pretty hard. And it came out of nowhere and very quickly got into the hearts of a whole lot of people around the world, didn't it? It sure did. And we, I know we binge watched it that weekend it came out in mm-hmm. 2016. I think I believe it was July 2016 when this came out. Yep. And I started it on a Friday and I think I told you, you got to, you got to start this show. And, and by Saturday we were done. Yeah. And, and I've binge watched a few times since then, of course. <laughs> yeah. I've done, I've done season one twice and I've only done season two the one time. I've done season one, three times, season two, two times. And, of course, we are doing this in preparation for the July 4th release of Mm -hmm. Stranger Things Season 3, which everybody I know is very excited about. But this thing, as we said, it came out of nowhere and quickly became this cultural phenomenon. And and it's just absolutely wonderful. What do you think? Because this was kind of your pick. This was on your list, I believe. But then we said, well, let's hold off and do it closer to to the release of season three um what is it about this show that you like so much and keeps you coming back because that's that's a commitment to go to go back in a few (laughs) times on this so so what is it specifically about the show that you really really like you know i really don't know i like the way that it looks i like the whole i'm not from the 80s but I i know there's a nostalgia for people who grew up in that time and i just i like that whole look and vibe of the show and it is pretty, they have some pretty, you know, creepy moments in it. And I, I think that's what keeps me coming back. Well, if you don't know, if this is your first time tuning into the show, uh, we like horror movies here mm-hmm. on the Late Night Fright. Faith, uh, you you obviously like horror movies. So when you're watching this show, 
and you said, you know, you, you came around, you weren't here for the eighties mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sorry because I think you would have really enjoyed them. They were, <laughs> they were pretty good. Does it remind you of horror movies from the eighties that you like? Is, is there a nostalgia factor yeah, in, a, on, yeah, in that respect? Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Um, I can see a lot of, um, what's what I'm looking for? Influence. Um, I picked up two of them. One of them. Do you notice what the daughter's name is? So I rewatched the episode uh, <laughs> right before we came over to do the show, uh-huh. and I was reminded of what the daughter's name, mm-hmm. the the sister slash daughter, and what? her name is Nancy. And that makes you think of, and that immediately makes me think of Heather Langenkamp in A Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street, Nancy um, Thompson. Exactly. Another right. thing that I noticed when Will goes inside, he looks out and sees the clothesline. And there's that creature standing out there. What does that make you think of? Excuse me, I'm knocking on stuff. Well, I'm sure it makes you think of it as well. It makes you think of Michael Myers standing in the in the clothes in um, Halloween, 1978. Yeah. So. So that's uh, you bring up some really good points, Mm -hmm. and we're gonna hold off just a second on the the influence of this because there are three people that specifically are the big influences on this. That's just. It's coded in the DNA of this uh-huh. show, and it's pretty – they don't hide it. It is right out there in the open, and you you hit one of them with John Carpenter. But we're going to get into those in, in just a minute. But um, And I know you have a real fondness for the kids in this, in this show as well, don't you? Yeah, I really do. I really do. I like them all. I think they're a really good cast. They, they work well together. I don't think I could see anybody else playing those boys. It's it's just it's just very well done. Now I'm a little younger than I would have been much younger than they were, but I did grow up in the eighties, so I catch the the tail end of it. Mm-hmm. And this definitely, definitely brings me back. And my cousin and I, when we watched it, she's close to their age. And so it was it was pretty incredible the first time seeing it. And and you connect with it on a couple levels, but the nostalgia factor is pretty high. But I think that the story really kind of stands on its own, though. It doesn't rely right. on that nostalgia factor, but right. it's a great cherry on top for, oh, absolutely. for this. And, and like I said, it really, really brings me back. Now, before uh, one other question, I'm going to put you on the spot with this. Okay. Uh, with it being the 80s and you not having been there and, and knowing you know this through this show, mm-hmm. uh, primarily, I would guess at this point, you know, would you have wanted to grow up in the 80s? Oh, of course. It looks like so much fun. It was a much simpler time. Right. The, the <laughs> early, the 80s and, and even the early to mid 90s, they were it was just a much simpler, happier time in a lot of respects. So, wow. so then, like I said, the nostalgia factor is pretty high. So let's, uh, let's get into it. Chapter one, The Vanishing of Will Byers, the first episode of Stranger Things. What do you think of this episode? Oh, I love this episode. I think it especially those first few minutes which I, I don't know if you want to jump into that right now or yeah we can we can go ahead and, and start bringing that in so let me let me kind of preface where we're going with this back in 2017 I decided to go back to LSU Louisiana State University go Tigers for all you fans out there <laughs> and I was a couple hours shy of graduating with uh, getting my undergraduate degree. Made a decision to go back. One of the best decisions I ever made. Faith was behind me all the way in that and, mm-hmm. and appreciate your support in You're that. Welcome. And uh, you actually came to my graduation. That was I so, did. so nice. I was December. so proud of you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And uh, 
So I, I went back to school to finish my undergraduate, and I took a course in television writing that was taught by Mary Kornhauser. And I don't know if any of you know her, but uh, look her up on the IMDb. She has directed a few films. She's written some things. She was actually a staff writer on the television series Treme that was on Showtime or HBO. I can't remember which one. One of those. It was, it was on one of the cable one of the pay cables, and she won uh, an award for one of the episodes that she wrote. And Mary is, uh, I don't have a lot of contact with her these days. I've talked to her a few times, and we've, we've kept up via email, but one of my absolute favorite people in the world. And you remember, I was talking about her quite a bit, mm-hmm. how, much, how much I really enjoyed Mary, and she's just a, a really nice woman and someone uh, that, that I think everybody needs to know. So please look her up. But, uh, one of the final projects that we had to do was we had to do a paper, a big project on a television series. And I picked Stranger Things season one. Now it was kind of self-serving because season two was getting ready to come out and I was going to be binge watching season one anyway, getting ready for season two. (laughs) So I picked, um, I picked, uh, the first season to do this project on. So this is coming from a paper that I wrote. This was from my final project. And what I want to do is really look at the first few minutes of this first episode going into the credits, if that's all right. Totally fine. So, all right. So the teaser for the pilot and the teaser, as I just said, starts right, right when the episode begins and goes through the uh, credits. So the teaser for this really establishes the setting, the tone, the visual style, and the main arc of what's going to happen in this entire season. And I'm going to keep this uh, uh, to season one uh, because I did not revise this and incorporate <laughs> season two. But if you if you hear anything here or want to throw something in, please you know feel free to do so. Before anything happens, we are told that it is November 6, 1983 in Hawkins, Indiana. We fade in on a starry sky, and Faith, this reminds me of the opening scenes from Mm E.T., and this is the first uh, clue to the visual style of this series. So we pan down to a U.S. Department of Energy laboratory. Inside, a scientist runs for his life down a hallway filled with blinking lights towards an elevator. An unseen monster grabs him as the doors open, and Faith, what did that remind you of? Alien? I I think that scene could have been taken right out of alien that's another clue to the visual style of the series so in less than two minutes it has been established that there's some kind of sci-fi horror monster loose in middle america the government is somehow involved and the series will be paying homage to the popular entertainment of the story's time period which i think is just absolutely well done and so efficient and this is barely a minute in maybe a minute and a half so from here, we're going to cut to a house in the suburbs, and we go into a basement where we meet Faith's favorite kids in the whole wide world, Will, Dustin, Mike, and Lucas, and they are four middle-aged schoolboys in there. What are they doing, Faith? Playing Dungeons and Dragons. And they've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for 10 hours at this point. <laughs> so the Duffer Brothers, who wrote and directed this, they give us another Spielberg reference here, and this is how... Uh, and E.T., Elliot and his friends were introduced playing Dungeons and & Dragons. And it's uh, also a direct connection to the work of Stephen King, specifically to the Quartet of Boys in the Body, which was made into the movie Stand By Me. And behind them, placed prominently on the wall, Faith, did you, did you catch what was on the wall behind them? The poster of the thing. Poster for mm-hmm. the thing, right. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the main influences on this. We got three. Steven Spielberg... 
Stephen King and Go Ahead Faith. Who's that other guy? Mr. John Carpenter. You love him, mm-hmm. don't you? One of my favorites. Yeah, so we have established this two minutes into the pilot. So this game of Dungeons and Dragons also serves as foreshadowing of not only what will happen to Will by the end of the teaser, but also how this story will unfold throughout the season. And I think this is very important here. We understand the story through the eyes of the kids, mm-hmm. and they understand the story through the game, Dungeons and Dragons. So they're establishing our whole point of view here in, like I said, two minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. So then what happens, Faith? What do, what do they do? What do they do? They, they, ha- they have their game. They play yeah. the game. Mm-hmm. And the game mirrors the end of this teaser. So it's Will's turn. And he is put in immediate danger. He is surprised by the Demogorgon. Mm-hmm. And just as he is surprised by the monster before being taken by it. So this is all mirroring each other, things that are about to happen. Yes. So the Demogorgon is described by Mike as something hungry for blood. And we learn later that the monster can sense blood. And Faith, that that's another Spielberg reference there. And I know you love this movie. In fact, we had a song about this movie on our very first episode. Jaws? Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> like a shark, yeah, it senses the blood. So Will, uh, during his turn, he has the option to cast a protection spell or use a firebomb. He panics and chooses the firebomb, but it is not enough to save his character. Just a few minutes later, he's going to panic while under attack, and he's going to be taken while he's loading a rifle. So so you like this group. What do you like about this group of kids? I don't know. They are just they seem like so much fun, and I don't know. They're nerdy and... <laughs> And nerdy and sweet, right? Yeah. And yeah, just... and the great thing about this scene is it gives insight into the group dynamics. So exactly. Mike is the dungeon master of the game, and throughout the season, he kind of functions as the leader. Uh, when confronted with the Demogorgon, Lucas urges Will to cast a firebomb while Dustin votes for a protection spell. And these characteristics are going to play out more as the season continues, but Lucas's actions kind of, Faith, you... You know this. They show him to be a more active character. Mm-hmm. And Dustin, who I know is your favorite, he mm-hmm. is, he's what? He's a little more passive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is all before three minutes have passed. <laughs> all right. I mean, and and I'm not saying this, you know, for, for you listening out there to go, oh, how insightful is he? This is not what this is about. This is all there in the exactly in yeah. this episode. This is how efficient and well done this is. So, um, we meet another character, and you just said her name. Eleven? Not eleven. No, no. We oh, I thought you said her name. I'm sorry. Nancy. Nancy. I yes. said eleven while ago. I, I was in my head. Yes, we meet Nancy mm-hmm. Wheeler. So we meet her in the bedroom. She's talking to her friend Barb. And by the way, can we go off on a on a little side road here? Sure. The cult of Barb that, that rose after this show <laughs> came out. Did you get it? Yes. You got it? I mean, I guess. She got a lot of love. She did. Maybe it was the glasses. I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, so, I, I, can, yeah. I can see it, but, you know. I mean, she became like this cult figure before the show had, <laughs> you know, had barely come out. Uh, so they're talking about a boy, and they're not arguing, but it does seem like they're having a disagreement. And her big action here is she closes the door to her room on Dustin. Now, this is not a big thing. I mean, teenage girls do this to their to their brother's friends, right? I mean, this is what they do. Oh, of course. But this, though, visually establishes that she is not part of this group. Right. So then on the way home, Will finds himself riding next to Dustin, and they agree to a race home with the wager being the comic book Uncanny X-Men 134. Now, nothing is here by accident. This is a specific reference and a clue as to what's going to happen in the series. Now, I'm a comic geek. I like the mm-hmm. X-Men. You like the X-Men, don't you? Yeah, a 
little bit. All right. Uh, in Uncanny X-Men 134, the character of Jean Grey, now the character of Dark Phoenix, unleashes the full force of her telekinetic abilities and defeats the villain of the story by throwing him against a wall. The mysterious group of the story is called the Hellfire Club. If you've seen the movie First Class, X-Men First Class, they're in that movie. This is a cabal of wealthy elites who use their status to influence world events. That sounds like conspiracy things that I like to talk about, right. isn't it? Uh, so, Faith, at the end of this season, you just said her name, Eleven. She does something, doesn't she? Yes. That's very much like this, isn't, isn't it? Yes. She throws the Demogorgon <laughs> against the wall, doesn't yep. she? Mm-hmm. And she's kind of Jean Grey in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. And um, Dr. Brenner and his group can kind of be seen as the Hellfire Club from that. So Will gets taken, uh, but in his confrontation with the monster, there are setups that will play out throughout the season. We learn that the presence of the monster influences electricity as Will's bike headlight blinks in his presence, as does the light in the buyer's shed. It also causes distortions in the telephone lines. We also get a look at it from a distance and its design is something kind of like the xenomorph and alien. Do you think it kind of, rem- does it remind you of the alien a, a little, little bit? A little bit, yeah. And the thing a little bit. Uh, there's also a subversion of E.T. in this scene, specifically with the backyard and shed while E.T. was very friendly. Uh, E.T. was pretty friendly. He's oh, a, yeah. He's a good guy. This monster's not. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> and so this establishes that while the writer-directors might be paying homage to the stories of the time, they are going to subvert some expectations that you might have with those stories. So... Faith, this is eight minutes in. And let me tell you what's happened in those eight minutes. We've established the main mystery of the story, and that's what happened to Will. And that's going to be the overarching theme for Winona Ryder in this show is what happened to her son. Mm -hmm. We introduce the three characters through which we will understand the story, and we introduce one of the big themes in the series, what is real and what is fantasy. So would you buy that for $1.50? Absolutely. Would you make me noodles and Italian sausage for that? Absolutely. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, and let's see, let's uh, do this. Main titles and the theme. So you like the theme song for this? I really do. What does it remind you of? I don't know. It reminds Maybe me of John, John Carpenter. Car- yeah, John Carpenter, yeah. Especially yeah. the music for The Thing. And even though Ennio Morricone did the music for The Thing, it, it has that, that Carpenter vibe. So this is a uh, synth-heavy theme. It's I was going to say, that's what... That's what that's it is, what, in those drum pull, sounds, yeah. right? That synth kind of just... Pulls you in. Unmistakable Carpenter, yeah. and they were going for this. So it's an arpeggio, and for anybody out there who doesn't know, an arpeggio is a series of notes. That's that's it, just right. uh, notes and a chord. And uh, the arpeggio itself does not change, but the bass note does. So it keeps that, and the bass note goes, boom. So it changes, and it gives it a feeling of being a little bit off. And so this musically represents the normal setting of Hawkins, and then the upside down that Will finds himself trapped in. So, like best film music, it's simple, effective, and efficient. And the last key here, as we said, the DNA, the three guys, the titles themselves are in the font of, I'm going to mispronounce this, ITC Binguat. <laughs> that is the same that's used on the covers of the 1980 Stephen King novels. And then the series also uses chapter titles for each episode in keeping with the feeling of a Stephen King novel. So... There you have it, Faith. That's one of my favorite parts. That is what I turned in. That's and awesome. finally, I said that's awful. I'm going to say that's awesome. Finally got my finally got my diploma. So let's uh, let's get a few more thoughts in here before we before we wrap this up. All right. Winona Ryder is in this, and yes. this was kind of a comeback for her in a lot of ways. Even though I don't think she'd ever really gone away, but she kind of been away 
you know, like right. we hadn't seen her in some big things. Right. What uh, what do you think of Winona Ryder in this as Joyce, the mother of Will Byers? Oh, I love her. She's one of my favorite people in the whole series. Um, I feel like she's just very believable in her role. And I just, I don't know, I love her. You like her? I love Winona Ryder. She was one of my first celebrity crushes oh, at about her. 10 years old. I saw Heathers for the, or Porzo <laughs> Heathers on Beetlejuice and just fell in love with Winona Ryder. And I love the irony that she's the same age that those kids yeah. were at that time. She was that age and, you know, so they would be her age. And I think she brings, um, for lack of a better word, a maturity to this mm-hmm. and a kind of wide eyed sweatiness, yeah. a, a neurotic thing to it. And the image that I have of this series, especially this first season, the one that I carry with me is not Eleven or the kids or anything like that. It is her sitting with that sledgehammer on the couch waiting for that thing to come through. Mm -hmm. And the absolute beautiful moment when the lights light up and she knows that her son is communicating with her and that pure just kind of angelic joy. Is that maybe what I'm looking for? That, That pure joy on her? I think she's absolutely wonderful. It was, I felt like I was rediscovering her when I watched this and I rewatched the first one, mm-hmm. you know, before I came over here to do the show and I, f- I felt like I was finding her all over again. I think yeah. she's aged into something very interesting. I think she's a very interesting actress and I can't wait to see what she does in, in this season three. Me too. And then the other one we have is David Harbour as Sheriff Jim Hopper. Now we talked about Jim Hopper on the show before, but it was for a different movie. Do you remember that? Predator. Predator, yeah, that's another nod there to the 80s that mm-hmm. the show makes. Uh, Arnold's character talks about Jim Hopper. There was the people that they found in the helicopter. Uh, I really like David Harbour in this. I was not familiar with his work before this, and to be honest, I still haven't seen a lot of his work. Same here. Uh, what do you think of David Harbour as Sheriff Jim Hopper here? I really like him. Maybe in the first season he wasn't my favorite. I mean, not first season, first uh, episode. But as this uh, the season went on, he became one of my favorite characters of this whole show. There's something really good about him mm-hmm. here, and I, you know, I think if if it was somebody else, maybe you carry a little baggage, but he has no baggage with him, and he feels like a guy out of an '80s movie, yeah. not a real guy. A guy, the a hero guy? out of an <laughs> '80s movie, yeah, like Kurt Russell would have played. Right. Again, going back to John Carpenter thing. Um, there's also some wonderful supporting characters here that we that kind of get more fleshed out. Even some of them in the second season. And the only one I want to focus on here is Steve Harrington because I really like Steve. I do. Doesn't he remind you kind of uh, the James Spader role, like a role Spader would have played in one of those '80s yes. movies? The <laughs> kind of wealthy guy. Um, I don't like him in the first season. He, I think he became everybody's favorite in the second, second season. Yeah. So I, I just think this is really well done. I, and and I really mean that. I think it's really well done. It's mm-hmm. just so efficient and good and pays homage, but doesn't get mired down in nostalgia like so many things can. Um, yeah, it's also, it's also one of my favorite things to come out that has become so, like you said, culturally recognized. You know, a lot of stuff like that. I'm like, mm, I don't get into it as much. This is just so good. Right. And we're going to out ourselves here. We weren't Game of Thrones people. We no. weren't in on all of that. And and I don't really watch too much television, to be honest. Um, if I do, I like I go back on stuff. Like, obviously, Friends. We, right. <laughs> we're still right. watching. Well, newer things, I should say. I don't, I don't watch yeah, too much. Yeah, I don't much. watch a lot of you know, newer stuff. Too much of that. But this really just got me. And like I said, it got in a lot of people's hearts and... It definitely got into mine and and really looking forward for season three. And we want to let you know we are going to be doing 
uh, next week. We are going to binge watch it this week. And we're going to have a, an episode on season three of Stranger Things. And we're going to try and keep it as spoiler free as we can. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is just so well. And you have anything else you want to add? Anything that you like? I do want to ask. I wanted to ask you something since you, uh, you know, you kind of grew up in the 80s. And do you think it's easier to make a movie or a show about the past than it is to make something about the future? That's a good question. Um, I think it's probably harder to do it with the past just from a uh, production standpoint. Uh-huh. Uh, also, then uh, you have a period to get right because the future you can kind of do anything that you want to do. Right. Uh, so I do think it's harder. Well, yeah, because like I said, I don't, I don't, I didn't grow up in the 80s. So if I'm watching it, I might not know if something in that episode, you know, actually, you know, existed or whatnot. Right, right. So, um, do you think that's tricky? <laughs> as I as I knock things over, that tricky tricky it is keeping the uh, pop filter on the microphone. Apparently, <laughs> I I think it's um, I think it's trickier to do something in the past. Do you think it's more fun? Do you be more fun to do it like that? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> A because, good challenge because you're getting to relive some glory days. Sometimes, <laughs> you know. Uh, let me tell a quick funny story. I was playing music one night and in Baton Rouge, and I was downtown, and they were filming a movie on Third Street. <laughs> and uh, it was a period, I think it was All the King's Men with uh, Sean Penn. Uh-huh. And so everything was done up as in the 30s style. And I was leaving the club, and I went to the parking garage to get my car, and I didn't know they were filming <laughs> down there. And I'd had a, I'd had a few. I, I was not, I was not uh, intoxicated, but I was feeling good about life and myself. <laughs> And uh, and I took the right out of the parking lot, and I, I was I was on the street where they were filming, and I looked up and <laughs> I looked up and down the street, so confused. Oh my God. <laughs> so let me just tell you this: when they get it right, they definitely get it right, and you feel like you're there. <laughs> In this one, you feel like you're there. So I don't I don't have anything else. I feel like we 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 went pretty deep on as as deep on this as I wanted to go. Yeah, that's what she said. There it is. <laughs> There's, do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, I think I'm good. Uh, one other quick question. What is your favorite time period to watch from, like when they do these kind of nostalgia type things? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm usually a 70s person, possibly. I'm partial to the 80s just because. 70s and 80s, maybe. I mean, I guess a lot of stuff I watch would be from the 80s, um, and I enjoy it. So I don't know. I'll, I'll go 80s with you. All right. So Stranger Things is, of course, available on Netflix. Season three will be coming out July 4th, and we will have an episode on that ASAP. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you in the Upside Down.